Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. Great multitudes followed Jesus Christ. He went into a mountain. His disciples came to him, not the twelve, but many. Came to him and he taught them there. I want to read two verses. Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. These are the precious words of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who now sits at the apex of heaven and earth. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, Mm -hmm. and broad is the way Mm -hmm. that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, One more time, can you bless these words of your blessed Son that they might profit our hearts 2,000 years later? Mm -hmm. Lord, help us now by your grace and through your Spirit. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our beloved Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Two weeks from tonight, I want to tell you what we must do to hold fast our profession of faith. Tonight, I want to tell you how few there are that do it, and how few there are that find the way of life, and how small the churches of Christ were, have been, and will be, and why we have a small church, and why it will never grow greatly, short of a miracle, because we live in the perilous times of the last days, and this verse is true, like everything else Jesus taught us. Few there be that find it. No man would ever find the straight gate in the narrow way if the Lord did not lead him to it, open his heart for it, and help him get in it. I hope we all know that. The word find there is only because he's still following his metaphor. And that is describing a great place to enter into with a gate and and a way that leads up to the great house or the city that we're talking about here, and so we we want to understand that. Our Lord has taught in these three chapters a very high standard of righteousness. He has condemned all the religionists of his day. He has taken apart the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the lawyers in these three chapters. And he has said, if your righteousness does not exceed their righteousness, you shall never enter into my kingdom. That's what he said about organized religion of believers. There are many that call themselves Christians and it means nothing to him. Absolutely nothing. There are many that have called upon his name, professed his name, been baptized, use his name and sing his name and it means nothing. Look at verses 21 through 23. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, look what they call him. Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus has already condemned the religionists of his day because what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is showing the difference between the character of the elect and the character of those who think they're religious. He's showing the difference between the true, the true church of Christ and carnal Christianity. And he says if your righteousness does not exceed the carnal Christianity of the most conservative sect of carnal religion, the Pharisees, you will not enter in to the kingdom of heaven. The character of the righteous is greater. And so he outlines that character, and I can't go through the sermon, but you know it's there. You know, the religionists say, I've never committed adultery. Jesus would say, if you've looked on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. Amen. If you've ever used divorce to get rid of one woman to get another, you've committed adultery. Religionists say, I've never murdered anyone. They look at the sixth commandment and scoff at it. I'd never kill anyone. Jesus would say, as he did, if you are angry with your brother without a cause, you have broken the sixth commandment. You are a murderer. Amen. Right. Now, when you have three chapters of that and he rushes from subject to subject, showing the character of his kingdom versus the character of religion. Then he comes to his conclusion, and here's his invitation, part of it. His invitation is in several stages, and verses 13 and 14 are him drawing a conclusion by pointing out there's only two paths in life. There's only two ways to live your life, and there's only two end destinations, heaven and hell. My way or the hell way. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Go in the straight gate. Do all of you know what a straight jacket is? Have you ever seen a straight jacket? I wish I had one in the closet because I would have brought one for the children to understand what a straight jacket is. I would have asked for the parents for, for one that might have a little tent touch of claustrophobia. I'd have had them come up front. We'd have put them in a straight jacket and we would have watched the sweat run out of their face and them cry so that we could have seen the effect of a straight jacket. And then we would have loosed them and I'd have taken them to Brewster's tonight for some ice cream. Don't think that I'm all that mean. But I want you to think about what a straight jacket is. And it's spelled the same way, S-T-R-A-I-T. We don't mean straight like a pencil is straight. We mean straight like a straight jacket is straight. And do you know how a straight jacket is straight? It's very tight. It's very restrictive, and it's very difficult to get out of. Now there's a gate, and Jesus Christ announced it with his kingdom, and it's very narrow and very tight, and it's very restrictive, and it's very difficult to get into it. The men in the New Testament that are described as going into the kingdom of heaven are said to press into it. Doesn't that fit? 
We've got this narrow little gate and it looks too narrow to get into, but they were pressing into it, Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man, every man of the very few, right. isn't it amazing how the Lord wrote his word? Every man of the very few that went into it, pressed into it. Right. And then when you go to the twin passage of that in the of the lord's speak of the lord's sayings he said the violent take it by force right to get out of a straitjacket you've got to use a lot of effort i've seen a couple of escape artists in my lifetime get out of straitjackets you've got to use a lot of effort and there was a lot of effort to get in to the kingdom of heaven and do you know what that effort was confession and repentance and a changed life right. and most people don't want to do that so there's only few that find that gate. When they see it, they don't want it because there is a very broad gate with wide open arms welcoming them where they can sing about the love of Jesus while they give him nothing. And while they compromise truth on every hand, and that's where we live today, in the perilous times of the last days. Most men want to go to heaven. Most men want some religion in their life, but very few want Jesus Christ of Nazareth as their Lord and their King. Right. No one in Noah's day wanted to drown. They all wanted to live and to breathe, but they didn't want Noah's God because straight is the gate. It is very tight, restrictive, and difficult to get through and narrow is the way that leads to life. That is abundant life here, and that is eternal life there. But broad is the gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction here and hereafter. And many there be that go in there, because it's easy and it's popular. The truth of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is very unpopular, and it's very costly you will have to give up things in your life. That is what Jesus is saying here. He has defined the character of the citizens of Zion, and now he is confronting them with the choice they have to make. Don't go the easy route, and don't go the popular route. Go the hard route, and go the despised route, because the end of that route is eternal life, and an abundant life here. Because if you heard the sermon, and you didn't have this offered to you in it, you would say, that is so hard to live the kind of righteousness he's talking about is such a high standard. I don't know that I can do it. It looks so costly. Can I have it the easy way of all these others over here like the Pharisees who go to church every Sunday and they're good deacons and they have a wonderful steeple on their building and they have a great Christmas pageant every December 25th, and on and on and on they go with all of their inventions for their religious satisfaction. But no, there's this little despised way that hardly anyone can get through. And as we just sang, here and there, a straggler comes for few there be that find it. Right. Our text here is warning about the comfort and ease and popularity 
of living a religious life, but not Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. And that's where our world stands today. When I'm talking about our world, I'm not talking about San Francisco or Hollywood. I'm talking about our religious world. I'm talking about the majority of Baptist churches and the majority of other so-called Christian churches. They compromise truth whenever they need to to keep the crowd coming. We now have programs to get mega churches. They'll compromise anything to grow their church in numbers rather than growing in truth and righteousness. They're not interested in this straight and narrow way. They want many. And the only way you can get many is to modify the message and to get rid of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because the Lord's way is restrictive, tight, and difficult. Right. Name, we ought to use names once in a while. The, ba the largest Baptist church when I came to this city in 1975 was Southside Baptist Church. What is Southside Baptist Church called now? They didn't like the word church because that's a Bible word. So they call it Southside Baptist Fellowship? No. Oh, they didn't like the word Baptist, so they call it Southside Christian Fellowship. No. They're ashamed of the word Christian too? Southside Fellowship, Woodruff Road. Welcome to the jungle. That is not the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why they're making that compromise? Because it's offensive to have anything that is a little bit divisive like the ordinance of baptism. Do you read the articles that are put on the back table from time to time, like our great First Baptist Church of Greenville, that, sit, that sat down and voted as to whether you should have to be immersed to become a member of the First Baptist Church of Greenville? And they said, no, it's no longer necessary. Now, isn't it wonderful that they can sit and decide Bible doctrine? And on and on we go. Any points you want to make, but that's for two weeks. Right now I want to talk to you about this fact. The truth is unpopular. Very few will find it. Jesus said that. And it's difficult. And it's tight. And it's restrictive. And there's a high cost with true discipleship. You cannot relax and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot find your life in this world and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He said, if you're going to follow me, you have to hate your own life. You have to lose your life for my sake. If you'll lose it for my sake, you'll find it. Amen. Because, see, it's the way that leads to life. It's the way that leads to destruction when you try to have your own life. When you try to do things your way, when you try to protect your money, protect your time, protect your television, protect your thoughts, protect your relationships, and do things the way you want to, you're going down. Amen. You say you're teaching salvation by works. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the work of Jesus Christ that gets us into heaven, and the only ones that are going to get into heaven are the ones that have works following. If God makes exceptions, then they're exceptions to the word of God, and he's going to take care of them at the great day of judgment, but I'm not going to preach them. Because if you don't have works following, there isn't one single scrap of evidence in your life that you're a child of God. It doesn't matter how many times you've prayed and how many times you've sang and how many confessions and witnesses you've given or been baptized by immersion by a Baptist pastor. There isn't no evidence in the word of God that you're on your way to heaven. You make your calling and election sure by doing the will of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. 
Well, isn't that something right in our context? It tells us that the ones that get into heaven are the ones that do the will of the Father which is in heaven. Amen. The exhortation and warning of Jesus Christ is clear. We cannot measure by ease. We cannot measure by comfort, and we cannot measure by size. Are any of you here uncomfortable with the fact that we're a small church? If you're uncomfortable with the small church, then you couldn't have followed Jesus Christ. Because whenever he would get done with his invitations, there were always just a few left. Right, right. When he had the crowds, when he realized the crowds are too great, all he would do is point out the cost. Or he would say something offensive to see if they would still hang around. I wrote to you this week about John chapter 6. He spends 20 verses saying, unless you eat my flesh, and drink my blood, you have no life in you, and you cannot go to heaven. He just keeps repeating himself over and over and over again. And they say, this is a hard saying. Who can say it? I mean, who can hear it? He said, you're offended? Well, let me lay another one on you. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? From that time, many of the disciples turned and went away and followed him no more. That's just one of many. Right. When he saw great crowds following him in Luke, 24, Luke 14, verse 25, he said, any man that comes after me, if he doesn't hate his father, mother, brother, sister, wife, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He said, count the cost. Don't be like a man who sits down and plans to build a tower and gets it started and then is unable to complete it. Count the cost first to see if you can finish the project because being in my kingdom has a high price. You know, back there in John chapter 6, after the crowd turned and went away, Jesus didn't go running after them because he wasn't anything like these mega churches that are in growth programs. Not anything like that at all. He was in the opposite. How can we get the crowd cut down to the real believers? So he turns to his disciples to see if he can get rid of them. And he says, to his, he says to his 12, will ye go away also? And here's what I hope our hearts are tonight. Amen. Lord, what other church is there in town? That's right. Thou hast the words of eternal life. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. And he says, I've chosen you, and I know that one of you is a devil. Only few will find it. That's what Jesus said. I hope you're not offended that Jesus Christ's kingdom is small and insignificant in this world. He made it that way so that no men would want to join it for carnal reasons. But I want to tell you, we have a glorious king. And if you have the eye of faith, you already know, as our brother Matthew prayed tonight, he is the blessed and only potentate, king of kings, lord of lords, and he's coming soon. Amen. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Jesus would say to us, choose the difficult, tight, and restrictive route that I have just outlined to you as a lifestyle. Don't choose the lifestyle. And remember, this is not worldlings. These are the religious people. Do you understand that? The comparison, this is Israel. They're all in the church. They're all church members. He's preaching to the whole church of Israel. And he's saying, you must come out of this carnal compromising religion and come and join my kingdom. And very few of them would do it. They were afraid because they would lose their place. He's not talking about Canaanites or Egyptians. 
I mean, Canaanites and Egyptians, he doesn't have a word for them. Paul did, but Jesus didn't. Paul, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's right. He is talking to the church of God called Israel, and he's telling them, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the very best of the ministers that you have, it's not good enough to get into my kingdom. Don't go in that broad way where they've modified all the laws to fit their convenience. You stay in my holy way where I've taken the commandments and put them where God originally intended them. And you know what these chapters teach. Mm -hmm. Our church is going to be small. It is small. If God wants to work a miracle in the year 2003, 4, 5, or whenever he wants to work one, we'll do the best we can to handle it. But I want you to all understand, there's a reason why we're small, and the truth has always been small. Right. Few there be that find it. Are you all with me, what this teaches? Yeah. Choose that restrictive way, because to really follow Jesus Christ, you've got to give up a lot of things. Do you know what you get to carry through life? A cross. Do you know how often you need to carry it? Daily. Daily. Then you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Most people don't want to do that. There's only a few. And tonight I hope that as we get to the end in a few minutes, you'll be gripped by this sermon in this way. I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ showed me his straight and narrow way and didn't make it look very straight and narrow at all to me, but the most wonderful way that I could possibly go in and open my heart to see it and that I would go through it. And that I want to be faithful to that straight and narrow way, and I don't want to widen that gate at all. Right. I want it at the dimensions that Jesus Christ drew it, and I don't want a church that compromises it and opens it up at all. I want to keep it straight. I want you to be gripped by praying for the churches in our city and our nation that there might be a revival in some of them, that they might restrict their wide open gates and broad way down to what Jesus Christ taught, and that they would quit compromising and opening it so wide. How few are there that find it? In the days of Noah, I would like you to look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and see what word Peter uses about how many were in the church then. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. 1 Peter 3:20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few. few that is eight souls were saved by water few few there be that find it Noah was a preacher but they didn't want Noah's God so they got Noah's God's water but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and we have found grace in his eyes that we would want to be part of his kingdom it's all of grace it is all of grace, but brethren, now that he has saved us by his grace and shown us his kingdom, he wants us to live for him voluntarily and sacrificially with the grace he's given us. Are we willing to do it? How few? Very few in the days of Noah. How few? Jesus said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom to a little flock. A little flock. How could you be the pastor of a megachurch and read that verse that Jesus 
that God's will was to give the kingdom to a little flock. That's Luke 12, 32. They're building megachurches all over. Brother Jeff, do you, do you know that Southside is moving its sanctuary from Woodruff Road to 14 into the old facilities of Brookwood while Brookwood has to build a much larger one in the open field behind the Taylor's house? Oh, I wonder how you get growth like that. It's easy. Get rid of the word church, get rid of the word Christian, and get rid of the word Baptist. We're Southside Fellowship. I wonder what they fellowship around. Donuts? Girl Scouts? The American flag? What's their fellowship based on? You know, the churches of the New Testament were called the churches here and there. They didn't need any names. Everyone knew they were followers of Christ and all their enemies called them Christians. That's where the name came from for us. Jesus asked when he returned, would he find faith on the earth? Now, how many mega churches are there when the Son of God is asking, shall he find faith on the earth when he returns? He knew why his doctrine didn't work. I want you to look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, it's the same reason our church, our church's growth program doesn't work. There's one big problem, and it's a five-letter word. It was a problem in Jesus' day. It was a problem in Paul's day. It was a problem in Noah's day, and it's a problem in our day. You know what the problem is? Truth. Men hate truth. You preach truth, they will not come. You preach a lie, they will flock to it flock to it. Make up any lie. I saw a UFO last night in my yard. Put that in the Greenville News and you'll fill out the Bilo Center. Put Jesus Christ rose from the dead, which is the assurance of God that he is coming back to judge the earth. Put that in the newspaper, not a soul. John 8:45. here's what Jesus said as to why no one believed him. Right. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. These are people that profess that they believed on him. You can see it over in verse 31. Look at, the, I love this. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. His invitations were something. Yeah. Everybody went out the back door. You know, invitations today, they all come to the front. In Jesus' day, they all went to the back door because they all left. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, but they didn't really believe on him. You say, how do you know that? Read the next 30 verses, and you'll find out. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. See, he's telling them, you're not really my disciples indeed, because you haven't shown the proof of it yet, and that's continuing in my word. He calls them children of the devil in verse 44, and they try to kill him before he gets to verse 44. And in verse 45, he tells them why. Because he made a mistake and all he preached was truth. When you preach truth and you're praying God to give you truth and you're trying to limit yourself to truth and you don't teach any lies, no one's going to come except a very few. Right. They didn't come in Noah's day. They didn't come in Jesus' day. How many were in the upper room in Acts chapter 1? When all the disciples gathered after Jesus had been there 40 days and he said, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to pour out the Spirit of God upon the church. How many were there collectively waiting together? They had a list of names. They had a membership role. How many were there? 120. Now tell me that's a mega church. 
That's an itsy-bitsy little church. But that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ after three and a half years of John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, John's disciples, and Jesus' disciples working day and night with miracle power, constant truth, feeding the multitudes, but weeding them down after the meal with truth. There was 120. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.17. 2 Corinthians 2.17. Changes began to take place immediately after Pentecost. At Pentecost, the Lord poured out His Spirit. What was the membership at the end of the first day? 3,120. How about the next day? 8,000 and something. The church was growing because the Spirit of God was upon it. And I want to tell you something. The Lord could convert the earth tonight. If he wanted to, he doesn't want to. And see, that's a point of truth that men don't like to hear because they all want to believe that God is their servant and he owes them eternal life. He owes them what they want, when they want it, on their terms. But that isn't the way the Bible's written. Jesus spoke in parables so that the nation that he spoke to couldn't understand and he wouldn't have to convert them and heal them. Read it in Matthew chapter 13. No one wants to believe that. That's the truth of the Bible. We preach it. We're said to be so hard, harsh, and hateful. It's the word of God. Right. Was Jesus Christ hard, harsh, and hateful? All we're doing is quoting him. Why are you so offended? Right. Amen. Look what began to happen very quickly. This is the way men have always been. They're liars because there's a giant liar moving among them all. And his name is Satan, he's the devil, he's the old serpent and the dragon. His name is Abaddon and Apollyon, and he is selling lies all the time. And he sells lies to Christians in under a five-letter word. And what is that? Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. Right. I am afraid. We're in 2 Corinthians. You might as well flip over there. It's close at hand, it won't take long. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul said, I fear. Do you know how much fear ministers always have knowing how narrow and straight the way of Christ is and how wide and open the way of the world is? There was always fear that they would get moved from the one to the other, moved from the narrow one, the straight one, to the wide one, moved from the narrow way to the broad way. Verse 3, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Right. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, Satan doesn't come and use his five-letter word name. He doesn't say, I'm Satan. I'm the devil. I'm going to hell, and I want you to go to hell with me. He comes and says, I'm Jesus. I am the light, the, the truth, the way, and the life. And I want to take you to heaven. And I've got a wonderful way to do it. We're going to have a musical extravaganza tonight. And afterwards, we can watch television together. And they all get excited and cheer. Rah, rah. Thank you that old-time religion is gone. We can have it our way now. Let's have a, a lock-in for Jesus. And so they've got their Jesus brethren. I'm not making this up. 
Paul was dealing with it in his day. Another Jesus. And it was Satan deceiving people with another Jesus, another gospel. Oh, you don't have to worry so much. Just come and make a decision for Jesus and you'll go to heaven. How do you know you're saved? Because you made a decision at some point in your life. What gross heresy. Amen. Paul would never let anyone like that ever believe that they were even partially saved. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom, ye have, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, here's why he was afraid. Ye might well bear with him. You're not tough enough at Corinth to withstand the temptation of the devil. I want you to look at verse 13 to know where this message comes from. Right. People that preach anything contrary to the word of God, anything contrary to the Holy Bible, anything here's where they come from right. such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of christ and no marvel for satan himself is transformed into an angel of light therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works that's what the bible has to say that's where this other religion is coming from it's the devil making an onslaught against Christianity, and he's taking them down in the name of Jesus. Look at what they do at some of the... Uh, we're not going there. The list is so long and so great. Once I got started, we'd never finish. They're doing everything in the name of Jesus. They've given up everything they once held dear. Can you believe a Baptist church saying baptism is no longer important to us, and we're the, fast, we're the first Baptist church of town? Look what was happening in Paul's day. Here's why he was afraid. 2 Corinthians 2.17 For we are not as many. How? What kind of a number? What kind of a quantity? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. You mean in Paul's day? Paul's day. When did he die? 60 AD? You mean within 30 years of Pentecost? Paul is saying for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. We're different than they are. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. That's how the apostle preached. John would write in 1 John chapter 5 and 19, We are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now that's a pretty small comparison, isn't it? We are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We are told that it was going to happen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I visited one of the oldest Baptist churches in our state last Sunday. I, I told you they had 406 members, but there were only 50 there. What did they need to do if they were a Bible church? What did they need to do to the other 350? Church discipline. Exclude them. What kind of a body is that? Where 350 haven't been around in 10 years. It's pitiful. The, the morning sermon was 15 minutes long, exactly. Yes, my Seiko works. 15 minutes. He read 13 verses from a passage, King James Bible. Oh, and I praised them up and down for having a King James Bible. He read 13 verses, didn't comment on one phrase, read four other verses, 
from elsewhere in the Bible and told five stories. And the 15 minutes was over. And it was a conservative country, low country, ancient King James Bible Baptist church. I'm not haughty in what I'm saying. It grieved me. David wrote in Psalm 119, he said, rivers of waters run down my eyes because they don't keep thy law. Right, amen. He had women up there in the pulpit before the pastor got in the pulpit. It was disgusting. It's so plain in the Bible, but they're breaking down everything that God said because the women aren't happy unless they can chop their hair off two inches from their head and have a role in the church. They don't want to have long hair. Yes, the Bible deals with that subject. Right. Don't get mad. Why would you get mad at me? I tell you the truth. Don't fulfill John 8.45 in this room tonight right. that you're going to hate me because I tell you the truth. Well, that's what Jesus said. He, Jesus said, you believe me not because I tell you the truth. Paul said, you hate me because I tell you the truth in Galatians chapter 4. Right. The Bible deals with all those subjects, brethren. Amen. A woman's, the length of her hair isn't her right. It isn't her choice. It's got to be long. 1 Corinthians 11 says that. 1 Corinthians 11 says there's angels going around to check the length of a woman's hair. You want to cut it back? You're sinning against the Lord. I didn't say you couldn't cut your hair, but it sure sounded that way, didn't it? If you cut it back to where it is short hair and there is any confusion between you and a man, your hair is too short. And to boot, you're ugly. Man, that's easy. God said that, not me. Do you know how he said it? Long hair is a glory to a woman. Do you know what he said about young men? The strength of young men is their glory. Do you want some emaciated little little guy or do you want a real man with some muscles the strength of a young man is his glory because it's what makes a young man look attractive and a woman's long hair is her glory listen we're off the track why'd you do that to me we love you. everything everything is being watered down changed compromised listen you preach that in most churches where their hair's about this long they'll hang you you won't be able to get out the back you'll be trying to get out the back door They'll, you know, you'll want to be let out of the window in a basket like Paul was in the city of Damascus. Right. I'm serious. They'll hate you. They'll, they'll cut you up. They'll get their husbands to vote the way they've always voted for their wives in that de deacon committee. Remember, the deacons in an average Baptist church are the pulpit committee. They're the ones that determine what, who's going to be in that pulpit and what he's going to say. And so, you're out, Jack. True. Because you stepped on the toes of the tyrant that I live with at home my God-fearing, Jesus-loving wife. And I speak as a fool because they don't fear God nor love Jesus. They have their own little Jesus. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 2, are we there? Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. Before Jesus can come back, what do we have to have? Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Now this is where it gets exciting. God told us it was going to happen. He made a prophecy. We're living in it. Right. Everybody wants to know about prophecy so that they can live in it and know the future. 
I, I gave it to you on Saturday in my preparatory email of what chapter to read. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We live in the perilous times of the last days. We live in the great falling away and the revelation of the man of sin. We know who the man of sin is. It's no confusion to us. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, 1 Timothy 4, 1, it's only a couple pages. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. This is plain. That's the way I'm supposed to speak. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, Lent, fasting, Roman Catholicism, the, 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 the vows of celibacy and the vows of Lent, <clears throat> eating fish on Friday, all of that's a lie from hell, from the devil himself and the Bible told us in advance. Right. But these things we were told about, but it continued to get worse. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is the chapter you were to read last night. In verses 1 through 5, it describes the character of compromised Christianity. It says things like they're unholy. It says things like they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Is this our nation or not? Amen. A church youth group, what would they rather do? Spend two hours in prayer or go to Six Flags over Georgia? Come on now, tell me the truth. Georgia. They didn't know there was ever a question. Young people are supposed to have fun. Old people pray. In fact, we don't need to pray anymore. We just turn on our Christian rock and we rock for Jesus instead. Narrow-minded sitting in here all the time. You need to get out and get around and see what's going on and read about it. It's pitiful. It is pitiful. They're rapping for Jesus now. Listen, I'd be ashamed if I was just a natural man and ever was near anything that could be called rap. But to do it in the name of Jesus Christ is really disgusting. 2 Timothy 3, there's the character of our generation, verses 1 through 5. What did Paul tell Timothy the minister to do with other ministers who had churches like that? What's the last four words of that passage? Verse 5, verses 1 through 5. What are the last four words? From such, turn away. The truth is always having to withdraw, separate, and narrow, narrow down. Withdraw, separate, narrow down. Withdraw, separate, and become more and more exclusive to follow Jesus Christ because this is what God has commanded us to do. Right. Because we've got to stay in that straight gate and that narrow way that leads to life and not slip into that wide gate and the broad way that leads to destruction. So Paul told Timothy, when you see a form of religion like this, and Timothy told the men he ordained, and they told me, and I'm preaching it to you, we cannot compromise. And it's going to be few, and we're going to continue to have to separate. Today is a unique day. Next Sunday will be a unique Sunday. It's both our 23rd anniversary of having a church here in Greenville, and our 10th anniversary of having withdrawn and put this into practice right. in this place. And we're going to have to do it again because the Bible says there must be heresies among you so that they which are approved may be made manifest. Right. God is always going to bring up little heretical notions so that we can have an occasion to exclude those who are strange children and keep our church limited 
to the true followers of Jesus Christ. That's the way the Bible's written. That's what it tells us. We're going to be small. Do you th I want us to grow. But I'd rather have us grow in grace. Amen. I'd rather have the, the members that we've got being more perfect than we've ever been before. Right. That's, that's our priority. If the Lord wants to add to us, praise his name. Verses 6 and 7 tell us that there's going to be a whole lot of teachers and most of their followers are going to be women. That sure is true today. Women are the religious leaders in most homes and they're following false teachers who creep. They're creeps. They creep into houses and lead captive silly women. And it's not that they just pick on one category of women that are silly. And silly doesn't mean cackling or laughing. Silly, look it up, means weak and vulnerable. They prey on women who are weak and vulnerable. What are those women like? Verse 7, they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 12, if you try to live a godly life in the straight and narrow way, you're going to be persecuted for it. Right. In this generation, if you try to take a stand on some of the issues I've just mentioned, take, in, take a stand on the issue of the length of the hair on a woman. Take a stand on the subject of Christmas. Take a stand on the version of the Bible. Take a stand on how the, the man of God ought to preach the word of God. Take a stand on one of those things, and you'll find some persecution, just like the warning in the prophecy here. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Because it's only a few in the one gate, it's many in the other gate, and they hate the narrow gate, and they rail on them and persecute them. Because they're not going with the majority. The majority has never been right. right. On hardly any subject, but always on spiritual subjects they're wrong. Because the minority holds the true position and the minority is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he holds the truth. Amen. And he gives it and dispenses it to those that he will. And he's given us some and we're thankful for it and it's all of grace. Amen. But the majority never figures out spiritual truth because it's all by revelation. Amen. Look at verse 13, what it says is going to happen. Look at how bad it's been all the way through verse 12, but look what 13 says. But evil men and seducers, those who have, what's a seduction? <clears throat> Something that is very attractive to get you enticed so that you will go in their gate and down their way instead of the right gate and way. Right. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. This situation I'm describing is going to get worse and worse, and we're in it. So, our church is not going to be very big. The fact that we have some truth and that you love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to follow him according to the Bible, you ought to be most thankful for it. Amen. You ought to be praying for revival. We want to pray for every minister that's got a sincere heart that God will give him courage, that will get into his pulpit and let go both barrels, and that God will cause his people to humble themselves before the word of God and obey it. We want to pray for those things. We want to hold fast what the Lord's given us and not give up any of it. We want to comfort ourselves that we are part of the little flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to have a mega church. We want to have a true church. We want to have the kingdom of God and his candlestick in here. We want the Holy Spirit of God, his candlestick here. Amen. In this lengthy passage that runs from 3-1 down to 4-4, look at the last two verses. Is this ever true? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. 
When will that time come? That time has come. See, it's future tense to Timothy. It's past tense to us. That time has come. Men, do no, men no longer like hearing sound doctrine. The word of God laid out verse after verse after verse with all the authority of the kingdom of heaven behind it and Jesus commanding that our lives change and conform to the word of God. Men no longer want to hear that. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now a teacher that itches your ears, what kind of teaching is he giving you? He's entertaining you. So they have entertainers. And those entertainers teach them fables because they no longer want doctrine or truth. And the fourth verse tells us that. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They've got athletes telling stories. They've got pantomime, mime. They've got interpretive dance. They've got anything and everything but sound doctrine. They've got special music until you're nauseated by people thinking they're in a nightclub that shouldn't even really sing in the shower. Oh, it's sickening. They turn a spotlight on, listen, when the word of God is preached in the house of God, there ought to be one spotlight and ought, forget these little things. There ought to be one spotlight and one focus of attention, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. From first to last, and only him. We are living in this prophecy. Right. There's churches in our, our city that are more than doubling every year. You know how they're doing it? They took, they took the gate of the Pharisees, and I mean they dug it up on both sides, and they moved it out wider than the Pharisees ever imagined. Let me tell you, they widened it out. They want everyone to come in. They want the unregenerate. You should, you should read their descriptions. You should read their mission statements. We want the lost to feel comfortable in our church. Can you believe that? You want the lost to feel comfortable in your church? I guess you're all lost. Why in the world would you ever say such a thing? Do you know what Paul would say? We don't want any lost in our church. Do you know what he said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2? Pray that I would be delivered from the lost. Right. Do you know why he wanted to preach the gospel in Rome? Because he knew that they believed it, and he believed it, and he said, from my faith to your faith, we're going to have a mutually wonderful time for me to preach the gospel in Rome. Did Paul preach the gospel to those that had never heard it before? Yes, but what kind of people did he look for? Did he go to brothels and jails? He went to synagogues where there were men who feared God, and he preached to men who feared God because they needed to know about Jesus Christ, whom they hadn't heard about before. We're fishing for men. You know, we're using our internet. We're using it like a net. We're putting out our net and we're fishing for men. If a fish gets caught in it, we're gonna pull it in as gently as we can, trying to keep that fish. But most of them are gonna swim away as soon as they get close to the ship and smell our ship. They're gonna swim away. They don't want the truth. They may want help for some social problem. They may want a friend. They may want to debate a little bit with the pastor. They may like some particular point that we've got of doctrine, but when it comes to living a life of holiness, no, that church isn't for me. Are you all, you're all ready for that. 
Do you all know that? Are you content with that? Amen. But do you love the fact that the Lord's had mercy on you? Yes. yes. Are you willing to pray that the Lord, will that the Lord will cause a revival in some churches where there are some sincere saints and where there are some sincere ministers who want to get up and preach the word of God Amen. and maybe haven't had the courage to do it, but we're going to pray for them to have that courage. Are you willing to hold fast what we've got and not to widen the gate at all? Are you willing to reprove, whenever you have an opportunity, to reprove anyone that will listen to you as to why they're going in the wide gate and the broad way, and to point out to them from the scriptures, not from us, not from our confession of faith, but from the scriptures, that they're in the wrong gate? Can a true child of God get in the wrong gate? Yes, yes he can. That's what Paul was afraid of. I'm afraid, lest Satan should beguile some of you to another Jesus another gospel, another spirit. We don't want that to happen. The effect of this sermon should be thankfulness. Do you know what Jacob said in Genesis 32? That's the wrestling chapter. He said, I am not worthy of all the truth that thou hast shown me and the least of all thy mercies and truth that you've shown me. I'm not worthy. That's the effect that ought to have on you. The effect should cause prayer you know what Paul had to say in his last paragraph ever written that we have? He said, at my trial, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. The blessed brother Paul, that God blessed so mightily, had to say, all men forsook me. Do you know what he said? I pray God not to lay it to their charge. That's, we want to pray. We want to pray like that. Do we hate lies and hate error? Absolutely we do. Do we want to see God's children come out of some of that stuff? Yeah. Yes, we do. We want to speak the way that John wrote in Revelation 18.4 when he said, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Speaking of God's elect in the Roman Catholic Church. Come out of her, my people. The effect of this sermon should be perseverance, that you want to hold fast everything that we've been taught not to compromise. Mm -hmm. The effect of this sermon should be to love sound doctrine and to want to promote it. That's why there are verses like, Thy law do I love, but I hate vain thoughts. Right. Psalm 119. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. If you want to call us hateful, as long as you'll define it, or anyone else will that calls us being hateful, as long as they'll define it with the word of God, we will say thank you for the compliment because David was hateful. God was hateful. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was hateful. He loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Right. We esteem all of God's precepts to be right and we hate every false way. Turn to Luke 7. Luke 7, what should you do? What did the publicans and the harlots the publicans were the despised traitors of the nation who were tax collectors for the Roman government. They were the men that were despised. What's a harlot? A street prostitute. The traitors of the nation and the street prostitutes, what did they do when they saw the straight gate and the narrow way? They ran for it. Do you know why? Because God opened their hearts and their eyes to it and he hid the heart and he closed the hearts and eyes of others. He opened the eyes of prostitutes and he opened the eyes of 
traitors to a nation, that they would run to that straight gate in that narrow way and press through it. Look at Luke 7 and verse 29. And all the people that heard him, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. What did you have to do to be baptized by John? Confess your sins, repent, and reform your life. If there's anyone in here that hasn't done that, you ought to do it tonight, and you ought to press toward the straight gate in the narrow way. If you're a, young, if you're a child, talk to your father about it. Don't put it off. Press toward that gate and that narrow way. These people did. They heard. They, they justified God. They declared that God was just and right in all the claims he had on their life by obeying and repenting. If you don't do anything about it, look what the next verse says. But the Pharisees and lawyers, all the religious people, rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Religious people, when the claims of God's word are brought to bear on them, you will find out they're not religious at all in the religion of Jesus Christ. They want religion, they want to go to heaven, but they don't want Jesus as Lord telling them how they have to live. We want Jesus as Lord. Amen. And I hope that you want to submit and obey him tonight. And if you haven't been baptized, you ought to humble yourself and be baptized because that is how you justify God by confessing your sins, repenting, and being baptized. Right. If you've already been baptized, my brethren, way over in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ with him sitting high and lifted up on his glorious throne in prophecy. And it says, Isaiah wrote, and I heard the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? I hope every one of you in here wants to go for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Your going may not be the same as Isaiah. It may not be the same as mine. But we're going out of this place tonight, and we can all go out of it, men, women, and children, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. That the way you live in your home, the way you have thoughts in your bed, the way you work tomorrow on the job or do your schoolwork, or you observe a holiday of our nation, you can do it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard the voice of the Lord. He said, there's going to be few that find it. Whom shall we send? Who will go for me? May the Lord bless this whole church to go forward. For the Lord Jesus Christ did not mind one bit that we happen to be few. For we have found, by the great blessing of God, the pearl of great price. Right. And we've sold all that we had to get it. Mm -hmm. And we've got it. And it's beautiful. Amen. Praise his glorious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.